This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Daniel Gallen, and we are fresh out of Beaver Stadium where we watched the number 13 Nittany Lions lose to the Ohio State Buckeyes, ranked second in the country, 44-31. to And if there was ever a game where the final score didn't quite tell the narrative of a matchup, it's this one. Penn State led 21-16 to with nine minutes remaining in this matchup. The rest of the way... Ohio State outscores them 28 to 10. We're going to take this one on from a different angles. Turnovers are a big storyline. Penn State lost that battle 40 nothing. 40 nothing. The defense was sensational in a lot of instances. As you wrote, though, they wilted as as things got deeper into this game. And let's begin with the obvious. And and it was the de- dejected bunch um, after this matchup, not in the way they were against Michigan. But because they realized just how close they were to pulling off something very special and maybe pivoting this Penn State football season into a stratosphere that none of us saw coming. Instead, there they all were from James Franklin to Sean Clifford to Jair Brown in the aftermath of this matchup discussing something familiar, a sixth consecutive loss to the Ohio State Buckeyes. It was definitely a different kind of loss from what we saw two weeks ago at Michigan. P.J. Mustafer called that one embarrassing. Um, and it was obvious the way that Michigan ran over around and through Penn State. This one was a little bit different. Uh, we knew that Michigan, Ohio State is built differently and, and can beat you in a lot of different ways, namely through the air. Um, but I think the one thing that you take away from this is that Penn State had it right there. It was 21 to 16 uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, the defense had been playing well. Uh, The offense was moving the ball. They had put together a pair of long drives uh, in the second half. One ended uh, on downs. The other ended with a one-yard touchdown by Catron Allen. And you kind of started to believe. You could kind of feel that, okay, this this might be happening. This team might have finally figured everything out. And then 34 yards on two passes to Marvin Harrison and Emeka Guku, and then Travion Henderson, again, takes it the rest of the way, 41 yards. Um, and then, you know, Penn State tried to, you know, tried to mount some counter punches, but it was the onslaught was was just too much between turnovers, big plays from Ohio State. And that was really the that was really the game. I mean, it went from 21-16 to 44-24 uh, yeah. in, in less than seven minutes, which is one of the, the bigger swings that that I've ever seen. And not too many teams uh, can, can can overcome that. 
it was remarkable. If you're just somebody spending your Saturday getting some stuff done around the house or, or raking up some leaves out back and you're just checking the score, you see that 44 to 24 with, with a few minutes to go in the fourth quarter. You think, oh, Ohio State went to Beaver Stadium, really handled their business. And then you, you kind of look at the big picture of this game. Ohio State had scored at least 26 points in every first half against the Big Ten opponent this season. That's four games, 26 points. They scored 13 today in the first half against this Penn State squad. And, and we're going to get back to it here with Sean Clifford. But Sean Clifford said something after this game that I think will stick with uh, you know, stick with him, stick with a lot of people. Um, this is a guy who now falls to 0-4 in his uh, career as a starter. We have a lot to talk about him and his performance in this matchup. But he said, this one is a heartbreaker because we had our shots. I thought that we had every right to win that game. So to not walk away with a win is tough. And I can tell you the tone of his voice when Sean Clifford said that really added to it. <laughs> it, it, it was it was just the sound of a guy who, who felt like he was on the verge of something special happening this afternoon. And instead, he's the guy who has a lot of the blame in his basket again. Four turnovers, three interceptions, uh, one strip sack. Uh, I believe those led to 24 total points for the Ohio State Buckeyes. You, you can't uh, can't deny the fact that they changed the momentum of this game in a big way. Um, and those were, in James Franklin's words, the end-all, be-all kind of way, of, no matter where you take the discussion, and we're going to take it in a few directions here on the post-game podcast, what you circle back to is the fact that they lost four possessions two turnovers and they didn't get one back on a takeaway and unfortunately for Penn State in this series in the last three losses it's an eight to one differential in takeaways uh, so it's just not a good trend and today it was particularly ugly starting early and then unfortunately for them also again in the fourth quarter. James Franklin was right you, you look through the stat sheet and Ohio State didn't really blow Penn State away uh, CJ Stroud was efficient um, he only had seven incompletions, threw for 354 yards, uh, but Penn State kind of limited all of that to the middle of the field underneath. <clears throat> excuse me. There were only a couple deep shots um, that we saw from C.J. Stroud, and that was kind of the, the defensive strategy. Um, and then you look, you know, Travion Henderson, 4.9 yards per carry. I thought that they did a, a pretty decent job on him yet again outside of the the really big run. Um uh, Emeka Agbuka, you know, they, they did a great job containing him on the bubble screens and the short passing game. Um, you know, you, you look at what Penn State did and it, you know, it, they did enough to win, it feels like, until you get to the turnovers column. And that is really the one place that it felt like Ohio State had a big advantage. We heard so much about this Manny Diaz attacking defense, all the take game where you need to steal possessions, you need to get big plays because you don't know how many chances you're going to get. And you know that more often than not, Ohio State is probably going to take advantage of the chances that it gets. And Penn State could not get those turnovers today. And that that's really what, what made the difference. I know it's stating the obvious, but you know, it's, it's a pick six. Um, it's a short field that, that leads to a touchdown. Um, another short field that leads to or, or a short or shorter field that leads to a missed 53 yard field goal. And then, you know, in the fourth quarter, there's the, the first play after a strip sack. There, there's a touchdown pass. It was just you know, the they talked the defense talked a lot about sudden change after the game and they pride themselves on that. And through the earlier part of the year, they did a good job of handling that. 
And early in this game, it felt like they were doing it. But obviously the pick six isn't really on them. But in the in the fourth quarter, those two turnovers were just absolutely devastating. You thought that Penn State was going to be able to weather the two first quarter picks uh, from Sean Clifford. Um, but it's it's really stating the obvious, but you, you can't turn the ball over in the fourth quarter of a close game or a game where you're trying to come back against a team that is going to make you pay uh, in that fashion. James Franklin's quote on that was, to me, the game starts and ends with the turnovers. You can't give that type of team a short field that many times and be successful. Um, And it was 21 points off of those turnovers, by the way. Um, There was a four-play span in the third quarter. We look at the the turning points, and I know you wrote about the turning points in the immediate aftermath up at lines247.com. But there was a four-play span in that third quarter where you've got Ohio State scoring on the touchdown um, with Travion Henderson. And then you've got uh, a Catron Allen run followed by a strip sack, followed by a touchdown pass. So the Catron Allen run is nice. The other three <laughs> plays, though, completely altered the complexion of this matchup, went from maybe Penn State looking to build on an early lead or not an early lead, a late lead, uh, maybe able to put the pressure on Ohio State. The, the Beaver Stadium crowd got to give them a lot of credit, whiteout or not. It was rocking in there midway through the fourth quarter when Penn State really needed the crowd. The crowd showed up um, and it was really all there for the taking. And of course, a, a, a little bit later in this matchup, as Penn State's trying to sort through things, they get the absolute dagger uh, delivered to them. And and who else? Number 44 out there. Uh, the, the, the name that's tough to say, but the name that everyone needed to know today uh, with JT uh, Tui Moloo. And he went off. I mean, this guy, not only, the, the pick six was the punctuation mark, but he had the deflected pass that ends up landing in the hands of Zach Harrison early for the interception. He had a second interception himself. He was the guy who had the strip sack. This is a former top five overall prospect that they went out to the Pacific Northwest to get. It was a very long recruitment process that went past this early signing period, went past the regular signing day. Ultimately, they bring in JT. And in a moment like this, uh, I mean, I know we talk a lot about what Chase Young did here in Beaver Stadium in in, in 2018, still to this day. This performance was on a different level. And we've got to tip our cap to a legendary effort. Conversely, it came at the expense of Sean Clifford in start number 41. And we know what the storyline this week was that Sean Clifford answered the bell against Minnesota. James Franklin took a moment to relish in that a little bit in his in his you know, press conference during the week leading up to this matchup. And unfortunately for that pairing here with Penn State, they fall to 0-4 collectively as a QB1 head coach tandem against the Ohio State Buckeyes. And we talked about this leaving the stadium in that four-game sample size of Sean Clifford being the starting quarterback, this was the matchup that they clearly had the best opportunity to come away with a win. I think this was their best opportunity to win a matchup against the Buckeyes since the last time they played here uh, with a home crowd in 2018. They lost by one point on that day. I know it ended up being a 13-point loss, but it, it, the stinging feel of this, I think, in that locker room is more of the one-point loss variety, Daniel. Definitely. And I think if if we're going to get into Sean Clifford and and look at his performance, I mean, he looked for the most part good today. That was kind of, you know, walking away, you know, in a vacuum without the turnovers. He was on fire for a stretch of this game. I mean, he was throwing darts and he was leading touchdown drives and he was doing pre-snap orchestration against the Buckeyes defense that... Hadn't really given up much over the course of this season, and it was like, whoa, my, get ready. And unfortunately, it came crashing down for Clifford and for Penn State. 
when like overall th- this has to be considered a, a bad game for Clifford with three interceptions and a lost fumble. I mean, that, that is the difference in the game. There's, you know, there's no way you can, um, you know, spin this to, for it to be good, but it wasn't really the, the stereotypical bad Sean Clifford game where you have the, those things that kind of lead in, lead into the turnovers where he's sailing passes. He's, he's late, you know, he was sacked three times, but, I think that this is a defensive front where there's going to be sacks. Uh, it, it wasn't his the worst outing from him that that we've ever seen, and especially what we saw earlier this month against Northwestern and Michigan. Um, like you said, he was on fire at parts. He seemed to have his rhythm. Uh, he got a lot of help from Parker Washington. Katron Allen gave him a lot of help on the ground. Um, a couple other guys came up with big plays um, in the passing game. It you know, there were contributions from, from all over, um, which, which you wanted to see, but it comes back to the turnovers. Um, you know, Sean Clifford and the defense had them in position to win, but that tandem of Sean Clifford turning it over defense, giving up a couple points, uh, when, when they really couldn't have, or really couldn't have afforded to that ended up being the difference, but you know, it's, you look at the three interceptions and that fumble and you can't ignore them. Um, but at the same time, it kind of reminded me of the, the Purdue game a little bit. And some of these other games that, that we've seen from Clifford where he is, can be so close to, to making up for his mistakes. He was able to do it against Purdue. I think about the Iowa game last year when he had the two early interceptions, but Penn state was still in the lead. Um, it seemed like that was going to be a game where they're finally going to be able to, to overcome this. Um, he had the early interception last week against Minnesota and bounce back. I mean, his, his second quarters, I think you had the stat where you, you pulled out his, his first quarters recently and, and looked at everything after. I mean, he's, we've seen some, some of the best of Sean Clifford recently, but today it was just completely canceled out uh, by what we saw early in the game. And then late in the game. Yeah. First quarter of the last couple of games, Daniel, 12 of 18 passing for 85 yards, three interceptions, no touchdowns. I didn't even tack on the Michigan game. It wouldn't look any prettier if you threw that on. Um, but but there was a point today when I was t- tallying up all the other quarters, and I believe this was in the third quarter of this game. So uh, he was, uh, yeah, I just read the stats in the first quarter. And then in all other quarters against Minnesota and Ohio State, he was 23 of 33, 390 passing yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions. That's that's where I was able to look at the timeline at this point from my tweet because he had not yet, you know, gotten back into the the, the, the turnover bug, hadn't stricken him again against the Buckeyes as it would later in the matchup. Um, with Sean Clifford, man, um, let's quickly go through what he accomplished. Uh, 371 yards uh, through the air. I think he was at 360 last year against Ohio State. Um, three touchdowns, three interceptions. Again, was not a guy who was making plays out there with his legs. We haven't really seen that as a part of the aspect for him, uh, more so in the past in this matchup, particularly with Sean Clifford uh, versus Ohio State. But, I mean, you could hear it in his voice afterwards. Um, He is – the window is closing on Sean having signature moments, signature wins, and you look at the remaining portion of this 2022 schedule – yeah, all due respect to our alma maters, uh, there's not <laughs> a lot out there left that Penn State should be, you know, quote unquote, fearful of. They're going to be tested each week. They've got to respond to this again. But the anticipation here is they're going to be favored to run the table and get to ten and two. None of those games, though, are going to be ones that that 
we'll see what happens. But none of those are going to be ones where you historically look back at Sean Clifford. So at this point, you're kind of thinking, well, could there be a bowl game? And then there's also this train of thought. Well, instead of thinking and envisioning Sean Clifford in a marquee bowl matchup, and maybe that's how he goes out of this thing, is this where you start to seriously consider you know, do you do you begin to make a youth movement now that you've lost these games to Ohio State and Michigan? I know that's more of a topic that, for us to carry into this upcoming week before they play Indiana, uh, but that's kind of where we're at. And I don't know about you if you saw this line of questioning, but it very went it went very much from measuring yourself up against Michigan and Ohio State and trying to chase a conference championship to what are you guys looking to accomplish from these final four games? What do you want to set up for yourselves heading into the offseason? That's how quickly the conversation shifts now in college football. It, it's definitely a great question. Um, you know, we talked about after the Michigan game, how do you prevent that loss from snowballing? And I think they had some good built-in guardrails uh, to prevent that from happening because you're coming home for the whiteout. Penn State is always going to be up on that game. And then you have to turn around and you have to play Ohio State. On top of that, you come into the game with only one loss. Um, if you knock off Ohio State, you're, you're still in it. Um, anything can happen. But now you look forward and Indiana, Maryland, Rutgers, Michigan State. I mean, is is beating a seven and two Maryland in two weeks? Is that going to end up being Penn State's best win um, of, of the of the season even um, when, when you look at final records? I mean, and records at the time. I mean, that's that's pretty that can be pretty bleak. So what is this team going to play for? We heard about PJ Mustafer talking to the team um, in the locker room after the game. His leadership being something that that Penn State is is leaning on right now, um, and this is where this is where those leaders get tested. I mean, we saw things spin out a year ago. We saw the 0 5 start in 2020. Uh, this team, like we talked about after the Michigan game, has the potential to go the same way. So, what's going to be different this year? Who is that going to going to fall on? Um, and, and how do you balance, you know, trying to get to 10 wins because the way that things are going, there's going to be that new year six, uh, bowl slot available potentially if you go 10 and two, and then if things get really nutty uh, at the top of the college football playoff, you know, who knows what bowl game you could wind up in if the big 10 were to, you know, somehow put two teams in the CFP, which I don't really see happening. So there is something to play for. Um, and it's just a question of it might feel empty to the fans because Orange Bowl against an ACC team based on some of the projections that we've seen doesn't have doesn't quite have the same ring to it um, with the 10 and two record. But for the players, where do they get their meaning? How do they avoid feeling empty in the same fashion? So it's going to be a really interesting week. Uh, Indiana, weird things happen in Bloomington. Uh, weird things happening in Maryland. Weird things can happen in Piscataway. Uh, who knows what will happen with the land grant trophy <laughs> on the line at the end of the year. Uh, this can, thing can still go in a bunch of different directions. Um, but after today, yeah, I mean, any hope to make a dent on the national stage, any hope to really even make a dent in the conference uh, is a really, really long shot. I mean, you don't really see Ohio State or Michigan collapsing down the stretch. I mean, depending on what happens in uh, Michigan, Michigan state tonight, which is another game that can get weird. You know, I'm expecting Michigan and Ohio state to be undefeated uh, on Thanksgiving, which really limits what Penn, which really limits Penn state's upward mobility right now. So, you know, we're going to hear a lot about one and zero. I think mm-hmm. that 
that is something that is going to be leaned on a lot. Um, but you do, you know, you do have to wonder, okay, what is going to keep this team motivated? You know, is seeing what happened the past two years, is that enough to keep them motivated to avoid similar fates? I don't know. It's going to be an interesting week. It's going to be an interesting November. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. I think what has to keep you motivated if you're James Franklin starting there has to be, well, clearly this isn't the year where you're going to leapfrog the Michigan Wolverines and the Ohio State Buckeyes. It looked like it might be close with, with Ohio State pulling off an upset today, but this is not that year. And that's the, those are the kind of years that James Franklin very loudly and emphatically says he desires here at Penn State. He's not talking about beating Maryland and beating Rutgers and and, and, and those kind of teams. He's talking about these two, even if he's not doing explicitly. So I think the mission has to be to prove that you're the best damn Big Ten football team outside of those two heavyweights this year because everyone can see what those teams are accomplishing. They're going to be in the college football playoff conversation. Uh, one of them was in there last year. Ohio State's been in there seemingly every other year the preceding uh, seasons. So right now I think James Franklin – this four-game sample sizes go out and show that you are the best next team in the Big Ten. Uh, because if you can't do that and you mess around, you maybe lose a game or, or you just look ugly doing it and you're not focused, this is where you can end up going into the offseason with loose threads. And I know no one wants to hear about offseason talk here. It's not Halloween yet. But I think everything that you're talking about now because of the way college football works and the nature of the beast, once you kind of close the party under college football playoff aspirations – You've then got to play that balancing game of winning now, building for the future. And when it comes to James Franklin, I think it's really important for them to get to the finish line with this recruiting class because it's not just about the guys that are here regionally. You know, Tyler Calvaruzzo can do a better job articulating all of this than, than we can right now, covering recruiting for us. But these guys are in Florida. Uh, you know, th th there's a lot of loose threads still, and we're working our way towards mid-December. So that's a big a part of this as well. You want to have your program training in the right direction. They clear clearly were not doing that last year. Um, I think they benefited from finishing with four straight wins after starting 0-5. There's no doubt about it. That was able to push them into the offseason going into 2021 in a better spot. Uh, and that's what it's about right now. Um, uh, whether you want to start talking about the quarterback conversation and how that factors into it and how you're going to start delegating reps to maybe some of the younger players in this roster and beginning to phase out some of the fifth and sixth year players who, because of where they are in their career and where you are in their season, that's what makes sense. But you got to win games. And I think really importantly for Penn State is you've got to show that you are still a part of the class of Big Ten football because I think there's room for question uh, regarding that after the last couple years. And if you add some fuel to that fire, then your rivals, your opponents, they're going to use it against you on the recruiting trail. And internally, it's going to plant seeds of doubt going into another offseason if you weren't able to bounce back and say, look, we lost to two of the best teams in the country. We took care of business against everybody else because we are a class team in the Big Ten. 
That's what I want to see. Are they going to show that's exactly what they are? Because we're a few years removed from it feeling like you could say that's absolutely where Penn State is. And I think they could show it again here in the next month. You can't cede any ground to the other teams in the Big Ten East. Um, in the Big Ten West, I think that maybe Illinois is probably the only team that um, has a you know a, a claim to being that that in that number three spot in the Big Ten um, based on how they're playing this year. And if they get to Indianapolis, we'll, we'll really find out. Um, but I think if you're Penn State, you you can't cede any ground to the teams that behind that are behind you, which coincidentally are the next teams you're going to play on your schedule. Um, I think if you want to keep this conversation about an upward trajectory, um, you know, being trying to go great from elite. I mean, Penn State hasn't even been good the past two years. They've been 11 and 11. So if you can establish yourself, you know, that after going 11 and 11 these past two years, we won 10 games. We took a step forward. Now recruits, you're the ones that are going to take us forward. We're going to build this. Now there is something to, to build on after two shaky years, um, you know, refining your footing. I think that that's something that that is a reason for optimism. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's week nine in, in college football mm-hmm. right now. Um, there's still a lot left. And I think that today is just going to really, really hang over Penn State when, when you look back on the season as just a significant missed opportunity. Yeah, it's just these are the kind of of junctures that that can give you momentum in a season, give you momentum within a coaching regime and to feel like you had that in your hands and then to see it just evaporate so significantly and so suddenly. Yeah, tomorrow morning is going to be get check time for these guys when they wake up, let that reality sink in and say time to get back to work at the team facility and, 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 and do that, because I think in this era where a lot of players understandably have an eye toward the transfer portal. This is the stretch of the season where leadership is everything in, in, in the locker room from the coaching staff. Cause if you get, if you get a few guys starting to veer off course, it can become more than a few in a hurry and, and we'll see how that plays out. But I think we'll see a motivated team show up on the practice field this week, but you can understand why they would feel like, man, we just missed out on everything that we thought we could do this season. Um, and, and and Daniel, as we go a little bit further here, Parker Washington's a name that we got to get to because we have been waiting for him to dial up an explosive, you know, big-time alpha receiver kind of performance. And you got every bit of that today. 11 catches, 179 receiving yards. He had a touchdown. He had a 58-yard catch. 65 of his yards came after the catch. And he was every bit – of that number one receiver you were looking for, kind of going mano a mano with Marvin Harrison Jr. over the course of this day. Harrison Jr., 10 catches, 185 yards, uh, no touchdowns to his credit. But this is a big step forward for Washington, and um, particularly when you start to evaluate his pro prospects. Remember, he's in year three at Penn State. He didn't have a touchdown going into last week, and all of a sudden he's starting to piece together uh, some exciting performances. Washington entered today, at, you know, first on the team in catches, first on the team in yards. But really, the only one of those catches that was memorable was that 35 yarder last week against Minnesota. You know, you would get to the end of these games and you'd look at the look at the stat sheet and it was like, oh, Parker Washington had you know five for 73 or it was four for 68. Um, and he was the leading, you know, leading receiver uh, among wide receivers. And you're kind of like all right, when is this going to happen? 
we saw that potential to do some things similar to what Jahan Dotson was able to do um, in terms of the acrobatic catches, making things happen, getting open downfield. Um, but it hadn't really clicked yet this year. And today it did. And the one thing that really stands out to me is, is Penn State got creative uh, with, with Parker Washington. He caught a pass out of the backfield, um, which I'll have to rewatch it. But in real time, it, it looked like that classic kind of angle route um, that you run on Madden, where he runs out of the backfield, cuts across the middle, is open, is able to get it. Um, I asked Washington about that uh, after after the game, and you know, he said it was a nice little wrinkle, something new, um, and that you know something that, that he liked doing. Um, you know, the effort on that fifty-eight yard touchdown catch was was really really good. He had two guys on him. He broke one tackle, shook off the other guy who looked like he was going for the strip. Um, I think that that was kind of that alpha performance. It was he looked like a number one out there. He had the diving catch on that third down. He said he got the wind knocked out of him. Uh, he had another good catch on the sideline. I mean, you put the ball in in the area of him. He's only 5'10", but he's able to make it happen. He's able to come down with it. Um, and I think as you look towards this last month of the season, is he set for launch? Is this going to be what you know takes him uh, into that into that next tier where coming into the game, it's all right, we're going to get Parker Washington 15 targets and, and he's going to make the most of them. Um, you know, is Sean Clifford at the point now where, okay, I'm going to throw it up to Parker Washington, let him make a play or get it to him in space, let him make something happen. Um, that was something that we really, really wanted to see. It seemed like every week for the past seven weeks, we were on the, on the Thursday podcast. This and it is was, the week. This yeah. is it. Parker's <laughs> going to do it this week. And he finally yeah. did it today, a career day. Obviously happens in a loss, but he was someone who had some he had some draft buzz um, coming into the coming into the year in, in terms of going high in a couple mocks, uh, being well regarded. And I think that this was the type of performance all of us uh, were waiting to see. Speaking of draft buzz, Olu uh, Fashionu has been popping up in top 10 uh, projections for the mock drafts and stuff. And James Franklin mentioned on his radio show uh, this past week that he was going to sit down with Olu and his parents this Sunday and kind of just face the new reality together, kind of assess their options. They're a little overwhelmed. Uh, Olu is only 19 years old. This is year three for him. He's still only 19. Uh, it'll be 20 soon, but uh, he's a younger guy and it's happening fast. But I, I say all this to note that he did not finish this game, and that is extremely important because he has. There's a reason he's been rising on the on on, the, on these draft boards as your you know, left tackle who's been entrenched in that spot. Um, we, we ended up seeing Bryce Effner end up at, at left tackle uh, with Jimmy Christ playing right tackle, if I recall correctly. Uh, no Caden Wallace today. Salim Wormley was available. We had some questions there. No Landon Tangwall today. That meant Hunter Norzad started his third game. So offensive line, just trying to go through some personnel stuff. I, I will come back Monday and really hit on some of the main storylines and stuff with Mark and with yourself about this Penn State uh, and Ohio State matchup. But there are some some things to go through. Keandre Lambert-Smith popped back up. He caught a touchdown uh, getting run at, at wide receiver for the first time since October 1st, early in that matchup against Northwestern. Um, and then across the field, Daniel, we got we to gotta talk about the defense because the way it ended – uh, was them watching Travion Henderson and 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 watching tight ends run, run through them and run by them, but the, really the story of this game for I don't know about fifty minutes or so was the fact that they had held Ohio State's offense to under twenty points 
And they had, despite the turnovers, the offense in prime position to maybe string some things together and build a bigger lead in Beaver Stadium. One thing that, that stood out to me was the, the sequence. I forget if it was the same drive or back-to-back drives where Kaziah Izzard uh, blows up a play, gets a tackle for loss. Devon Elise, uh gets Travion Henderson, I believe, on the edge uh, and, and brings him down for no gain or tackle for loss. Uh, the, the depth, I thought, w- was on display on that interior. We saw a little Jordan Vandenberg working next to P.J. Mustafer which I don't think we've seen this year as a, as a personnel combination. Um, but yeah, I mean, the defense had Ohio State where they wanted them. That was kind of what uh, Jair Brown said. Uh, that was what uh, Joey Porter Jr. said. Um, they felt confident. Um, and a little inside baseball behind the curtain after the game, um, you know, the, the players who were brought in for, for uh, post-game availability, we had the whole starting secondary uh, in there. Uh, Kalen King, Joey Porter Jr., Jair Brown, Keaton Ellis, um, which, you know, given the the type of performance that they had today, which was fine, um, they said that they wanted to take away those deep balls, not get beat vertically. Um, and, you know, they were seemed pretty content to give Ohio State um, th- those yards over the middle. Um, and they're still confident. Um, I don't it didn't seem like they had. Uh, any real issue with how they played. Um, they know they left some plays out there, um, but it was very different from after the Michigan game um, in terms of defeat. Yeah. So it, I'm, it'll be interesting to go back and rewatch the game. Um, <laughs> Joey Porter Jr. seemed a little disappointed. He didn't get uh, as many matchups with Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, as we might have expected in terms of a mano and mano battle uh, with, within the game. Um but they really did limit what Ohio State was trying to do. Um, some of it felt like the Ohio State play calling. Um, I mean, you, you talk about the bubble screens. I mean, Penn State had that absolutely locked down. Um, you know, we were looking at uh, Emeka Ibuka's uh, final numbers. Um, he finished with six catches for 53 yards. He gained 55 yards on two of his catches. Uh, the other four, which were bubble screens, were no gain, no gain, no gain, minus two yards. Uh, and, <laughs> and Kalen King was a really big part of that. Um, and I think when this defense is able to play downhill, especially in the secondary, um, it really suits them. Um, but overall, um, in terms of you know each level of the defense working together, you know, we're still looking for the pass rush. Um, the sacks today were Johnny Dixon and Abdul Carter. Um, the linebacker play, I think that's something that we'll have to look closer at, um, on, on a watch back, but, you know, one week after being super active against Minnesota, 14 tackles, Curtis Jacobs was a little bit quieter. Um, it is worth noting second straight start for Abdul Carter, um, at the will, um, and the second state straight game where Jonathan Sutherland was announced as a starter, but Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs are the ones flanking Tyler Elsden. Um, but the defense, it was just a whole lot of almost today um, when, when you look at how they played. You know, there were a couple almost sacks on C.J. Stroud. Um, there were you know, the missed tackles on the Cade Stover touchdown. Um, it was just sort of a lot of it was, was almost there. Um, but I think there's some good things that you can take away from it, um, especially you know, a couple things uh, in, in the past defense and really avoiding 
those big downfield plays. I think the two, I think the three vertical plays where Ohio state was really able to make an impact was the opening drive, a third down Marvin Harrison, jr. 37 yarder um, over Kalen King, Joey Porter jr. Got called for pass interference matched up with Julian Fleming on a deep pass. And then the best throw of the day, um, CJ Stroud to Emeka Buku on uh, for 42 yards uh, in the fourth Johnny quarter. Johnny Dixon did all he could, man. <laughs> I mean, they did just about all he could except get his yeah. hand on the football. I, I asked Kalen King about it. Like, what do you do as a cornerback? And King was just like, you know, it's basically said that you can't really play a perfect game as a cornerback, that you can still do everything right. Um, but quarterback, wide receiver, if they're on, especially these two guys of these caliber, like, it's basically impossible to be perfect. Um, Mm -hmm. But that was, I think the one, there were a couple of wow throws from Stroud today, but that was the one and it proved to really set up the dagger there at the end. And Stroud today, I think that when people sit down and try to figure out the Heisman trophy, who's up, who's down, and they'll probably, you know, bump him down maybe because he only had one touchdown on the day, but I've came away today Way more impressed than maybe that stat line would show. He's 26 of 33, 354 yards, one touchdown. It all sounds pretty darn good. But to me, when they lost Mayan Williams, who was their leading rusher coming into this game, they lost him early. They really didn't get a lot of these guys going in open space to Penn State's defensive credit. Marvin Harrison um, and Cade Stover, the tight end, were the two really reliable targets who seemed to be producing chunks when he was looking for them. But to me, he was a galvanizing figure. They were facing a very difficult situation on the road the crowd was into it he throws a pass like that and i think that's a reminder to people out there these superstar quarterbacks that everybody wants and there's only a few of them every year and you think you have one in drew aller those are the kind of get out of jail free cards or cheat code moments that you think that maybe you could be able to enjoy in the future as a penn state fan the difference is ohio state has been stringing these kind of quarterback prospects together and one guy goes off to the nfl and the next guy's got a season or two in the program and he's ready to step up and we've seen it time and time again daniel in these matchups whether it's a jt barrett or dwayne haskins or of course more recently with stroud Big moments, fourth quarter moments where these teams are going back and forth and you're trying to see which offense is going to find that spark. Their quarterback has found it and it's been pretty common. I mean, it's just been, it's been, it's been just, it's just been a bugaboo for Penn State. The fact that you see the guy on the other side of the field making these major throws and you think about Sean, Cl- Sean Clifford's body of work here in four games. He hasn't finished the games always, he hasn't been healthy always, and there's been scramble mode moments like we kind of saw today where it gets away from him and it feels like he loses control over his own offense. Never felt like Stroud was in danger of losing control in his offensive attack, and to his credit, he kept up that lineage of Ohio State quarterback play that we've seen against Penn State during this losing streak. Zero interceptions for C.J. Stroud, three for Sean Clifford today. I mean, I think that that's when you really distill it down to what was the difference in the game in terms of their quarterback play. Cause like we said, Sean Clifford was pretty good today. Um, he, he made some things happen in, in the middle of the game, but three interceptions, it's not going to get the job done, especially when the guy on the other side never makes those mistakes, mm. isn't going to make those mistakes. Stroud had thrown one interception in each of the past four games, but he was able to avoid that today. And when you look at how things went, especially in the fourth quarter, an interception somewhere in there, second quarter, third quarter, would have gone really a long way for Penn State. But 
Ohio State doesn't make too many mistakes, and you know that means you have to be perfect too. I, before we finish up here, I want to go to a key moment. Penn State came out aggressive. I thought we might see that. Um, you know, James Franklin mentioned some new wrinkles. We saw the way that they were gearing the play calling, the way that they were deciding things in the moment. That they understood points were going to. They, they needed to get the points when they had an opportunity. But there was a chance there. Long drive, a 12-play drive, took up more than five minutes to start the second half, and it was a beautiful opportunity for them because to close the first half, Johnny Dixon comes up with the sack on a second-and-goal situation. You can't believe Ohio State, for the first time all season, doesn't score in a red zone opportunity, and you get the ball back, and you get it for five minutes, but you get nothing. Uh, This was a question that you asked James Franklin about, and I will tip our cap to Penn State because they had some fourth quarter calls that led to a touchdown drive. We saw Jake Pinnaker come on and miss a field goal, <laughs> make a field goal. Then none of it even happened and they scored a touchdown. But this was a moment, fourth and two. They go singleton. You could have trotted out Jake Pinnaker for a, I think it would have been 35, 36 yard field goal. It would have given you a 17, 13 lead. Look, a grand scheme of thing, who knows? And you, it's, you know, you ask about these fourth down results more than you do about the, about the questions sometimes. But you know, I thought it was a valid point uh, in bringing that up after the game. I mean, I thought it was the I thought it was the right decision. Um, mm-hmm. James Franklin did say that you know you have to score touchdowns in this type of game, um, and you look at the final score and to you know distill it down to to I guess dumb guy football. Ohio State won because they scored more touchdowns than Penn State. That's really what it was, um, and I think that they knew that that you were only going to get so many opportunities to score touchdowns. Um, you couldn't really let Ohio State hang around. And so they were going for it, especially coming out of the half. Um, if they can bump that lead to it would have been 21-13 there, I believe, then you would have been in you know in decent shape. You would have had a cushion. Um, the defense would be able to play a little bit more with a lead. Um, I like the decision. Didn't like yeah. the play call. Uh, it was the that T formation, everyone's favorite. Uh, with a sweep over to the right for Nick Singleton, which was the exact same play that they ran um, in the first half um, out of that formation. And really up to that point this season, the only plays we had seen out of it were quarterback sneak with Brenton Strange pushing Sean Clifford, Katron Allen to the left side. Today was the first time that we saw Nick Singleton to the right. Um, and in the first half, Penn State had also done a little bit of motion uh, shifting in that formation to force an Ohio State timeout. Um, and then after the timeout, they stayed in the T formation and did Nick Singleton to the right. Um, and then later in the fourth quarter, um, they went back to it, shifted out of it with a pass to Tyler Warren to convert. Um, but I like the decision to go for it, but I think running the same play out of the same formation, uh, you know, twice in a row um, in that formation, I, I didn't really like that, um, especially where I think Bryce Effner is pretty solid. Um, I like running behind Sal Wormley, but you know, maybe if Caden Wallace is out there, it's a bigger body, you know, a little bit more mass there. Maybe that can get help get you that extra yard or two. Um, but I just didn't didn't like the play call. Um, right there um you know you have a a deep playbook you know why are you only going to the that menu of three plays out of that t formation that that you've already shown so you know it's love the decision don't like the play call and in a results oriented business didn't go right 
And let's point out the fact that you had some depth issues today, maybe played certain guys that you wouldn't have liked to for these kind of snaps in a matchup like this that goes for the offensive line. Um, meanwhile, Ohio State, we, we know how they've recruited, and that stuff all kind of adds up as they go. You know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, he's out of the equation today, a guy who had 1,500 yards last year for them. And, you know, they really don't bat an eye over the course of this thing. They maybe blink a little bit, uh, but but C.J. Stroud was able to pull them out of it. And um, long story short, Penn State, they, 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 were, they had 500, almost 500 total yards. Uh, they were able to hold Ohio State to one touchdown for the first 51 minutes of this game. Uh, penalties, Ohio State had eight of them. They had pre-snap issues, and it was there. It was all there, but continuing with the theme of Ohio State versus Penn State, another loss and another one that you can say, well, they played as hard as anybody's going to play against Ohio state, but it's another loss. And that's going to keep stinging when you keep finishing with that one and eight. Now James Franklin against Ohio state, the one win 2016, the springboard uh, towards that uh, big 10 title run. Anything else to add here, Daniel, before we shift gears and, and go watch a little Phillies world series action. I, I think we, I think we covered a lot of ground. I think that, we're still going to have a lot to unpack on Monday when we get back together. Oh, yeah. um, but I think the one thing that you just take away from this is that Penn State had a huge opportunity, and I think it's one that they're going to rue for the rest of the season. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out a lot more about this team. They've got a, a third of the season still to go, but this was the three-game stretch where a lot of people said probably going to lose two out of three before the season that's the way it happened. They do end up losing to Michigan and to Ohio State in very different fashion, but that's going to reset expectations for what can be gained out of this conference schedule the rest of the way. We'll be back on Monday to break down that and a lot more, give our thoughts on this Penn State matchup, start to think big picture as well. Mark Brennan will be back with us, and we'll talk some recruiting, uh, plenty of prospects on campus. There'll be coverage of that for the next few days over at lines247.com, along with all of our post-game takeaways and coverage. On behalf of Daniel, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for joining us on our post-game podcast edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats.